People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Hello and welcome to People's Poetry Podcast. This is episode three of series three. Thank you ever so much for joining me. This is the poetry podcast that follows me, Jimmy Bowman, an aspiring poet and teacher alike as I travel the UK talking to established poets as well as poets who have just taken their first steps into the world of poetry as I try to find out why it is we have just such a love affair with poetry in this country. This is a podcast aimed not just at those who already like poetry but those who never really considered it before. I want to show you that there's something in the world of poetry written for you. This episode's featured poet is the very wonderful Pete Bearder, a.k.a. Pete the Temp. I managed to catch up with Pete very quickly as he was passing through London on his way to Cambridge, and we had a brilliantly insightful chat. We spoke about slam and the carnivalesque. We spoke about spoken word educators in schools, how poetry is taught in schools, poetry as a performing art, spoken word on the page and genre theory, the politics of poetry, publishers, career poets, DIY ethos, criticism in poetry, poetry in protest, his own poetry and poetry in the face of the political and economic meltdown we are witnessing at the moment all inspired by his brilliant book Stage Invasion, Poetry and the Spoken Word Renaissance there's so much sustenance in this conversation I think it's going to class as one of your one a day, check it out It's my great pleasure to introduce Pete the Temp, Peter Bearder thank you so much for talking to us Yes Jim lovely to, to be here. Now obviously I'm going to focus most of this chat on uh, your book Stage Invasion, Poetry and the Spoken Word Renaissance. Uh-huh. It is an immense piece of work. Thank I've got you. to congratulate you on it and honestly it was truly interesting. I, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a real pleasure to see um, a, a, a post-it docket notes all the <laughs> way through a book. That's the <laughs> highest compliment that, that, an, that an author can see. And I, I had to limit myself putting them in because there were so many other bits I could have spoke about but I thought no keep it to about 40 minutes. Uh, um, for anyone who's unaware of it, could you give a brief description of the book? Sure. So Stage Invasion is a non-fiction book all about spoken word, um, the unwritten history, science and art of live literature, performance poetry and the side of poetry that's been neglected by all of our institutions in the way that we look at and understand poetry. Um, and. That is, you know, communities of performance and, this, uh, and the way that um, poetry is ingested by the human nervous system in, through live performance. And when I started about 15 years ago, I couldn't find anything that was uh, actually explaining what I was seeing on stages. So eventually right. I, 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 I um, wrote, wrote my own book, got some Arts Council funding and spent two years in a cave and, yeah. uh, and here I am I'm out of it now I was going to say how long how long did it take and I was going to ask sort of what was your motivation but I suppose the fact that you, you tried looking for something like that and it, that it wasn't there is that yeah. what yeah who, who is it the philosopher who said that the unexamined life is not worth living I think the unexamined uh, art is not worth doing I mean like it's for me part of my poetry part of my craft as a performer and as yeah. a writer is geeking out about about the craft, you know, yeah. like non-fiction books about uh, uh, about technique, and you know, I mean, I, I just got fed up of I was trawling through libraries and and Amazon and bookshelves, couldn't find anything that talked about you know Mark Gwynne Jones and how how he was able just to hypnotise me when he was on stage and also make me laugh and use pauses and all of these things that 
that are part of the craft of poetry, yeah. which is, of course, a performing art. Poetry is a performing art. Poetry is uh, a recreational activity. And again and again, we're, we're, we're taught that this isn't the case, but we're seeing expert writer-performers, that dual discipline of being a writer-performer, and you see them killing it on stage again and again. Yeah. And it's trying to find a language to adequately describe how expert that is. And often, and I was researching this book, I found that the people who were doing it and had been, been killing it on stages for decades, they didn't even have a language yeah. to describe what they were doing. So it's been a real interesting journey. There is some writing out there, and I've brought together a lot of writing in this book. Um, and hopefully this is the start of a conversation within the scene. It's, it, it's certainly brilliant at doing that, starting that conversation, because you've yeah. got so many different references that you can then veer off and, and read what that person has written as well. Uh, I mean, it, it's not just purely about spoken word. As you said there, there's a bit of science behind it. You've sort uh -huh. of got... Uh, you go into history of poetry and look at the romantics and things like that. It, it's very, very thorough, which is, which I think you hit the nail on the head when you said if yeah. that's your craft, you want to sort of geek out about it. You when I started teaching yeah. film studies, I, you right. know, I was like, oh, I get to do the nerdy bits now. I get yeah. to look at how they actually do all this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a big part of it is, you know, I don't know if it's the first section, it's about slam. Okay. And slam's quite a hot topic when I talk to, you know, different poets around the UK. Everyone has their sort of view on slam uh -huh. and in this you said you found it as a sort of rite of passage for yourself mm -hmm. so why was that what was it about slam that, that gave you that rite of passage it was personal partly personal reasons partly the culture of slam in this country i mean like if you look at slam comparative comparatively to slam culture in mainland europe or slam culture in the us yeah. where you have slam poets who identify as slam poets and, and, and have an entire career where they're just doing competitions and they get paid to do those competitions, right? They travel around and they, and they compete in slams and they get paid like a small amount of money to do that. Germany, you can do that, that's the culture. It's a very different culture here in the UK. Yeah, it never really took off in the way that it did in, in, in places like Germany or France and it's never got as big as it was in, in, in the US where it's a movement, yeah. yeah? It's, it's a scene here, right? And, and it's a small part of what spoken word performance poetry is in this country. So, so really what it is within the ecology of UK live literature, UK spoken word, slam is something you do at the beginning to, to hone your craft, mm. get yourself audience, audience worthy and get, get your name out there, get bragging rights, right? Uh, and then... You sort of talk about that. Once you're established, you don't really happen to do it again in the UK. That's, that's the end of your slam career, if you like. It tends to be the way. Most established poets don't, don't slam. I mean, it, it's a place of experimentation. It's a place of, of play. It's a place where people come into it. And, you know, it's not to say that, that it's totally devoid of, 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 of senior talent. That's not true. But um, that's kind of the, the role that I think that it, that it, that it has in UK mm. spoken word. And that's a very valuable one. Yeah. Because um, it's a gimmick. It's a game. And it makes a game out of literature and I think that's a very exciting concept a tournament right and that's a very ancient concept it looks at some of the, the book looks at the how that's existed over time and throughout the world uh, yeah. uh, verbal contest genres is, is an archetypal practice of the verbal arts well, you talk about sort of tournament and you talk about the carnivalesque don't you and right. uh, you mentioned Joelle Taylor who uh -huh. when I was training as a teacher she actually came into one of the uh -huh. schools I was at um, so it was amazing to see that happen um, and slam in schools, do you, do you think slam in schools is important? Uh, is it something we should be doing more in terms of poetry education in our state schools? Should damn, damn straight, and it works. I mean, Joelle Taylor and, 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 and Johnny, uh, um, uh, Joelle Taylor and um, 
spas and dreadlock alien you know were some of the big pioneers of slam days in schools and it totally works you know class warfare you know into interform uh, bouts where you've got entire year groups slamming against each other kids are very naturally competitive they like doing team stuff make a team sport out of literature why not uh, that that definitely it, there's no doubt that works that works in getting kids into poetry again yeah. and again yeah so i've you've, you've done a ted talk on on that sort of area haven't you about yeah. a spoken word <laughs> educator in schools what, yeah. what what is it you feel that having one would bring because I'm really interested in that. as a teacher I think the more we can do the better I also think right. some of the poetry we, we force upon them if you like it, it is important but it's also not a, a true uh, depiction of what poetry can be it's a very niche this is poetry from the romantic period and that's all you're going to leave with Right, 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 right. So, so what, what could having a spoken yeah. word educator bring to, to the curriculum, I suppose, is what I'm asking? Uh, it, it can bring a lot. And we managed, through the spoken word education programme, we, we managed to get about six to ten full-time professional spoken word poets in school. Uh, and it was, a, it was a fantastic experiment. It, it, it hasn't been so sustainable because of the funding landscape, but we know now that it works. Yeah. And we, got, we, we accrued all of the evidence, we got the report, we got the feedback, we got the data. And if anybody wants that, we can get in touch because I can send it to you. It's waiting to happen again. It was got, it was got off the ground, the Spoken Word Educator Programme by Peter Kahn, the world's first full-time spoken word educator in a school, came over from Chicago, got it going in the UK, and uh, it, it basically turns the model of poetry education on, on its head. It doesn't say, okay, look, read this, underline the poetic devices used. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it says, okay, tell me about your life. Let's, ha let's, let's have a conversation. Now we're going to write about our lives and then we're going to perform about it. So it's social, emotional learning. It's also about building communities artistic communities, about building trust, about building, building social capital, that, those relationships that the kids have with each other. Um, so it's immersing them fully immersing, in poetry, which yeah. in essence would make it a lot easier to read a poem that exactly. they've never read before. Yeah, because it's, it's about confidence, about presentation, mm -hmm. it's, about, uh, it's about being, you know, cultivating being a good audience, which is being a skill. All of these things are a, bit, a, a, a part of what we would build in, in After School Spoken Word Club and also in the, the rituals of performance and sharing and the slams that we were doing in class as well. Um, literature is an intensely social thing. Yeah. It's not just an intellectual thing, right? So, um, and if it's good poetry, it's got blood all over the page, right? And the kids, man, you know, you I mean, you're a secondary school teacher. <laughs> they, they've got like, when you're like 14 year old lives, man, they're, yeah, yeah. they're dramatic. They are hectic. Some <laughs> dramatic material in there. Yeah. Another area of slam, not just slam actually, throughout the book is sort of this idea of criticism and, and, and good criticism for sort of poetic work. Yeah. How could criticism be better in slam? I think I think it, it's not so much of a gimmick now, slam. I think we can I think we can re-gimmick it. I think we can remake it and let's let's create a new ritual around literature that's going to excite people. Yeah. Let's remake slam. Yeah. Um, the whole audience judge thing it's okay you know there's there's merit to that you know it's intuitive it's it's democratic bloody blah, blah but why not let's get let, let's get panels on stage and then you know there's so many different formats and it goes into some of the different formats in the book yes right? it does yeah you know it's like uh, where you could um, get get experts up on stage get people to like 
you know, maybe get the poets to answer back to the panel members or maybe have like the audience break out into discussion groups I don't know man but there's so many different yeah. ways you could do a poetry night and still keep it interactive and still give the audience the power to vote off poets from the stage and I think um, I mean listen to you speak about slam there and and sort of in the book you come to the conclusion that it's not the death of art slam it's not this uh, demon that it's it's made out to be by some critics out there right and you go on uh, another bit I found quite interesting a lot mm. of poets speak to me about the oral tradition so Tony Walsh when he spoke to me talk about you know how um, you know poetry arcs back to people around a, a fire sharing stories and uh-huh. there was that statistic in your book about if we condensed human history into 24 hours mm-hmm. uh, mass literacy would only be 43 seconds yes surely that stresses the importance of anything like slam then and these sort of stuff that promotes uh, literature that's it and that, that, that's it and i think the oral tradition like uh, uh, it it it, re- it ceaselessly fails to uh, amaze me how how incongruous that sentence sounds right poetry is a performing art mm. poetry is a performing art and, and and when you think of poetry you still we we have this conception of this thing where, where we're, we're inert using only the the organs in our head our eyes and, and it's a very solitary thing yeah poetry is a performing art so it's so it's so it's a social activity it's a physical activity it is um, partly improvised. It's re- it's um, tailoring itself to the audience and the moment and the place at hand. That also makes it incredibly political, right? So, applied poetics—the role of the poet of the poet in society through the oral tradition—this becomes very pronounced because it's not mediated by print and publishing houses and academic institutions. I don't want to create kind of like. Uh, binary kind of like us and them things like, yeah, it's yeah. not like that yeah. and, and, and most most of my contemporaries and I'm sure you're the same you know you, you design stuff for the page you design it for the stage bloody blah, blah, blah we're all one okay that that considered um, there is still a huge deficit in our understanding of live poetry because of the time lag within our educational institutions that haven't caught up with theatre studies and with um, other other areas of studies that, that have actually been looking at like actually how fucking complex and how uh, fascinating uh, a discipline live performance is yeah um, and and I'm not just I'm not it's not to say it's theatre or it's stand-up it's not it's different it's 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 spoken word it's its own art form right so it has elements of, of, of stand-up it has elements of theatre has elements of music but it's its own it's it's it has its own different emotional range it has its own conventions it has its own rituals it has its own uh, um, way of doing things you know so it deserves to be looked at in and of itself and there isn't very much and that's why it was really exciting to write this book and to, and to delve a bit into yeah. that yeah it's an interesting massive part of, of the mm. book that, that does sort of hunker down on that mm. you know what is spoken word um, you can't I think the conclusion you come to is as you said you cannot sort of pigeonhole it into one right. thing and there was yeah. a nice phrase in there that you said spoken words almost a, a return to what poetry has been for the overwhelming majority of its history um, which is quite a nice concept as well yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So spoken word meaning live, that's something you sort of dispel as well, don't you? Saying that spoken word's not necessarily just live. Um, 
I think in the book you talk about Burning Eye, don't you, as a sort of publishers that, that print this almost... I don't know, how would you describe it? Poetry written for the stage but works on print? I don't... Yeah, so, so there's different ways of looking at it. You could look at it as a, a spoken word as a people. Mm-hmm. You can look at it as, a, as a medium, as in something that's done predominantly in a live setting, whether that's recorded you know, as a video or whether that's on a stage. Or you could look at it as a... Um, as uh, a set of values even you know uh, that, that bind those people together i mean if you were to look at it as as a scene as a network as a movement then uh, you have to also consider that it has its own ecology of of um of publishing you know it has its own publishers burning eye outspoken you know all yeah. these different whether or not they more or less you know they associate with with the spoken word scene right so, um, and it has its own trends, and you know, more spoken word artists starting to publish, and, you know, writing yeah. for the page, etc., etc. So, uh, yeah, what is spoken word? There's many different ways of looking at that, and genre theory was really interesting. Like how genres come into being, and what they are, and how you define them was was a real eye, eye opener for me because I thought, like Lucy English, who I was working with on this book, said, okay, just write a, like a, 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 a write like a two thousand word chapter just defining what spoken word is and we'll stick it at the beginning of the book and <laughs> like f- literally four months later like I mean, li- four months I spent on that chapter <laughs> can you imagine yeah, trying yeah. To define? It's, like, it's like trying to like fucking nail a, a, a plaque on a cloud <laughs> right but uh, but I'm actually quite proud of it and it was a fascinating journey yeah. to try to go into to spoken word as a movement of people and artistic conventions and and all these different things yeah you talk about the 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 movement of people one of the reasons i started this this podcast was to talk about you know how poetry isn't elitist and it is inclusive but you kind of flip that idea on its head at times in the in the book and um you talk about you know how poetry is supposed to be this inclusive liberal thing that you know represents all but there's a point you talk about if there was a conservative in the audience of this this reading you were at, they would have felt pretty awkward. So in that respect, right. it's it's not right. inclusive. I thought right. that was quite an interesting point. I've never heard anyone sort of make before, really, from the poetry community. Yeah, and I, and I think that's something we should always be asking ourselves. Like, okay, if we're now going to start doing stuff in galleries and theatres, that's a safer space for some people. You know, some people they they, they don't they don't drink. They don't associate themselves with drinking environments. They don't want to be in a pub basement, yeah. right? Um, but it's going to exclude other people, right? And as as spoken word becomes more uh, more mainstream, more um, palatable to the establishment, more kind of blurred with the poetry establishment that it used to be really against. Actually, if you look at the 90s and yeah. noughties and uh, the history of spoken word performance poetry, as it as as that change happens, I think it, it's really important that, that we think about who we're losing, you know, or, or, or are, are we, you know, disappearing into you know cosmopolitan, uh, quite emotionally literate and politically literate yeah. cliques in urban centres, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm just kind of walking through Brighton last night and looking at the gentrification of um, of, uh, of Brighton and wondering what effect that must have on the poetry. If urban centres have 
all the crusties they have to move out because yeah. they can't afford to live there what what effect would that have on the, I don't know really it's an interesting question but no, it is, yeah. poetry is spoken word it, it's changing and um, yeah I don't really have the answers I just think we should think about it you know well that's that was the purpose of the book wasn't it start a conversation <laughs> I suppose I'm glad yeah. you that question. Yeah, we should think about <laughs> it I don't know what to say <laughs> another area the book explores is sort of DIY poetry and you you reference uh, Selena yeah. Goddard and a question I thought when I was reading that is, do you feel that publishers now, they hinder more than help, perhaps, the creative process of poetry? Hinder or help what? Do you think that uh, publishers hinder more than help the, the creative process of uh, poetry sometimes? Because you talk about DIY poetry and you also talk about uh, professionalism and, and, and how you need, you need an element of that to be able to survive as a, you know, a career poet, if you like. So do you feel that publishers sometimes hinder more than help? Well, if we're, if it's not, I think the crucial difference, because publishers means a lot, lots of different things and can be lots of different things. I think the crucial difference for us is how aligned is a given publisher to, to our scene? Mm. You know, because if they're going to back us and they got our back and, you know, they, they have the same motivations and they have the same... Uh, uh, passion for, for your craft and, and your audience and your work then then that's who you want on your back right or, or with your back rather yeah. not on your back <laughs> get off my back um, I mean one, one, one example is uh, Burning Eye Books which is native to Bespoke Ones it came out of it right so it really represents and it really gets uh, and it really supports the diversity that exists within Spoken Word and really yeah. does its best to kind of promote that but if you're going to be trying to get into publishers who have no real connection to your scene, you're going to have to make compromises to them and what they consider poetry to be, right? Yeah. So I think, and this is again and again with the whole DIY thing, whether it's publishers or whether it's theatres or whether it's funders or whatever it is, or whether it's academic institutions, we can't wait for them to be down with what we're doing. We have to do it ourselves, and all of the successful things, Burning Eye Books, Sabotage Reviews, podcasts, like you citizen journalists like you, Almost you know, opening that, up the yeah. conversation, like you got to, you've got to do it yourself, because yeah. they, you know, the, the establishment, you know, to put them in this kind of fictitious box, right, whoever they are, um, or we are, they will try to, they, occasionally they will say, oh yes, we're going to bring this person into our literary festival. Uh, and you know they will have a little spoken word section of our literary festival, whatever. Yeah. Um, but that's only going to be fetishizing us to validate their their own position, right? Do you know what I mean? It's like it, it's got to come out of the scene because there are very established um, vested interests in the art and in education, as there is with anything, right? So we have to create our own power, peer to peer empowerment, and that is what spoken word is. Yeah. You get together in a room, you share ideas, you share stories, you share your art. And you, and you galvanize, do you know what I mean? And the work that you're doing in opening up this conversation and giving people an opportunity to, to deepen their understanding of this craft, right, is, is where it grows from. And that's the reason I'm able to publish a book about spoken words yeah. and tour it around the country and do things like this is because of the decades of hard work by people like yourself. And we and they weren't waiting or you know waiting for some academic institution to do it for them or you know to let them in. 
they were getting on and doing it and that's the power of DIY and that's why we have to do it for ourselves yeah. because if we because it hasn't worked do you know what I mean like like the discipline of live verse has been squarely ignored by academic institutions for however long I would say you know way back to, to the post-war era you, that's the story and even funders I mean the Arts Council wouldn't even fund uh, uh, performance poetry until relatively recently wow uh, in the same way that they've only just started looking at beatboxing, right? It's right, an emerging yeah. art form. So, um, yeah, that's. I think I've said it all there. That's <laughs> a, my little rant over. You, t- you talk about, um, you know, we've spoke about how spoken word has opened up and how there's areas of it that aren't elitist at all anymore. In your book, you, spoke, you speak about Rebecca Watts and a scathing review of people like Kate Tempest and Holly McNeese. Do you still feel, even though you've been on this journey, right, collating this 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 book? Do you feel that poetry is still quite elitist? Um, what what needs to be done to create more of, of this sort of middle ground where we're not in this exclusive elitist area, but we're also not in this really uncritical poetry community? I suppose that's a bit of a two part question. Mm. That one. Yeah. So I mean, the Rebecca Watts article. Um well, it had it had some interesting points to make, but it was very combative, and it kind of like the whole tone of it. And I think one of the reasons why people reacted so strongly against it was it had this kind of sense of ownership. Yeah. Um, and it was also yeah. I mean, it, again, it cut, it belongs to an academic tradition, yeah. which uh, uh, has a very narrow criteria for for what constitutes good art and good poetry. Um, and I think we just have to ignore it, to be honest, and just get on and create our own our own categories of perception, yeah. uh, our own ways of, 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 of judging it. Um, and our own, and Sabotage is a good, good example of it. It's, it's turned into like an annual kind of like festival and award ceremony and uh, you know, people are putting that on their websites, you know, Sabota- Saboteur kind of like uh, award nominee, things like that. Um, and Slams is just one, another grassroots way of, of, of uh, kind of giving ourselves the credentials, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you're kind of also interfacing with that. I mean, I'm, I'm touring around universities as well, right? So yeah. it's like, it's not a, a kind of in or out thing, but um, yeah. And people talk about social media, you know, some people think it's it's diluted everything. Uh-huh. Some people think it's aided poetry's rise. I mean, I don't think you can exist in this day and age without it. Yes. Um, have you found social media to be more of a hindrance or a help in your own sort of poetry? That's a tough question. I mean, social media, it, it is also like deeply uh, flawed, compromised, in way, isn't it? Because it? it's like you're, you're, you're at the mercy of these algorithms. Mm. And, uh, but they are also a, a way that people can, can publish. And, and again and again, if you look at the history of, of new art forms, yeah. they always go straight to the new medias. Uh, and uh, everyone's like, oh, that's not real poetry. And so you see this with inst- Insta poets. It's like, oh, that's not been real poetry. Yeah. It's not real. Uh, but, you know, people are, people are just, you know, they're improvising with the tools to get their, get their message out with new medias because, they, they, you know, they can't get publishing contracts or they're not on spoken word or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So they're like, okay, Instagram, I'm just going to start posting and then maybe they make a name for themselves. And within that surge, you're going to get a lot of rough and ready stuff. You're going to get a lot of shit. But you're also going to get moments of brilliance. And you've almost gone full circle back to the oral tradition by, by doing it that way. You're just, you know, you're wanting to get what you want to say out there in, in the only way you can. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. With 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 whatever means um, whatever means necessary to publish our publish our work. I mean, in the 1950s, the beat poets like um, um, Lawrence Ferlinghetti, the City Light Books, they were they were publishing uh, in paperback. And, yeah. And everyone was like, oh, you know, paperback. Nobody paperback was considered tra trashy. It was new. Nobody mm -hmm. published in, in paperback. So that was considered really trashy because they were publishing in paperback, right? So um, new poetic surges will always use new new mediums, and and then it'll you know. Yeah, a lot of it will be crap, but you'll also get brilliance, and you'll get people playing and, t and getting involved, and that's that's always a good thing for the health of, of, of any art form, I think. Yeah. So, towards the end of your book, you talk about uh, poetry and protest. Uh -huh. Why do they go hand in hand? Yeah, I mean, uh, protest comes from uh, la uh, uh, Italian uh, protestari, which li literally means to, to testify, right? So, I mean, in one sense, spoken word is, is protest, because mm -hmm. you're giving your testament, you are... You're, you're telling your story, yeah. yeah? Um, you're having your say. Um, so in that sense, it's kind of innately political. Um, but the chapter that I look at looks at, I mean, a lot of the stuff I've done over my life as a performer has been at, at protests. Yeah. And um, I think it's very interesting because, like you, you mentioned earlier about the carnivalesque elements of, um, of slam, how spoken word is really alive to other audience members and, and incorporates their bodies and like you know gets gets does the the whole call and response antiphonal poetry the right? emotional participation as emotional you call it in the book yeah yeah, yeah. Well, that's not my phrase that's um uh, uh, John Hegley right, right? Um, but yeah so it's like um, making a craft not just out of the writing but recognizing that you are in a unique historical confluence every time you get on stage you're at a place and a moment with a group of people which is historic because yeah. it's never happened before and it's never going to happen again right and if you can be alive to that and you can you know you can you can have that banter with the audience in between your poems or really just recognize okay what does this this occasion need what poem does this audience need at this time yeah um, and as you said it, it ultimately helps steer the sort right. of activism, doesn't it? In I think so. Yeah, I do. I agree. Because because it, it's because activism is really fluid and it's it's based on togetherness. I mean, I'm talking about protests, the demonstrations, rallies, whatever, right? Occupations, yeah. strikes, picket lines. Yeah. And you see this with the picket line poets here in London, and you see this actually through the whole history of poetry. Um, spoken word is right at the center of it because all you need is a stage made of pallets or a raised platform maybe a megaphone if you've got it you don't even need that yeah. I, mean, I was looking at like pictures um from the 1930s of people in their 70s standing up on the lions on trafalgar square on the yep. on the column in trafalgar square and just rocking it in front of hundreds of people there right unamplified i mean it's an ancient formula spoken word and it's been right at the center of every social movement that has um, that has changed history and so it's uh, i find it really fascinating also because um yeah i mean activists by definition they get involved so it's like you know they're they're very fluid spaces demonstrations and they're very uh Vocally, they're very participatory, and you see this with the, you know, what do we want, when do we want it, all of that. Yeah. Um, and spoken word artists are, are, are very good because they're, they're professional gobshites. Is what they do, right? <laughs> they are within any any group. They, that's their role: is they get up and they convene emotions and they convene attention. 
So uh, yeah, I think that's uh, that was really interesting writing that chapter. So obviously this this book has been a, a massive part of what you've been doing for the last two years. But yeah. you also you are a poet and you you know you write and perform your own poetry. Yeah. And um, and when the other teachers sort of found out that I was going to start this podcast, uh-huh. they've they've shown quite an interest so, so I, you know right. I bring in different poets books and try and get them to read a bit mm. um, and I brought numbered boxes into into school ah. um, and you know there, there were a few poems that, that kept coming out every teacher that sort of had a read of it said unfulfilled workaholic ah. um, <laughs> but, the, but the one that, that we all really really loved oddly was the, the first one running out of paper right because that poem was, I don't know we could just see those students right. all around right. us you yeah, know we yeah, have this yeah, we have this yeah. lesson once a week for year seven and eight where they have to go to the reading room and it's an hour in silence you must read pick a book read right 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 right, right. and you can see that I, I can't remember the line there's the shaked coke can is it right right, right. Sort of Eddie was a coke can that's shaken and left so he yes. always wanted to be somewhere else and you could just see these students in there right, and, right. I, and I think it tapped into this idea of almost forcing uh, cultural capital down kids throats and things like that I've, I've you were a teacher, weren't you, before? I was, I was working, yeah, with, with the Spoken Word Education Programme. Right. Um, mate, props to you, like, as a secondary school teacher, that, was, that is the hardest job in the world. Do you know what I mean? It, it was, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of, like, quite dark poetry in that, and there's a lot of silly poetry in that collection, numbered mm. boxes. There's also, like, it was tough. Being yeah. a teacher, because you are at, you're you're in this institution, and all of the kids are in, in the institution. They can be quite unforgiving institutions sometimes, um, especially if you're a kinetically orientated young person. Yeah. And the idea of just sitting for an hour just reading a book is just sending you yeah. mad. You know what I mean? Like we have a bit of a, I think probably in a hundred or two hundred years, we'll look back and go, well, that was really savage what we were doing to young people in our education system then. Um, I think in a bit where you talk about, you know, in that poem again, yeah, he, he, he could communicate and spell with his feet on the on the football field, and right. it's just as a teacher, I see it all the time. But you wrote that collection when you were a teacher. Yeah, was that is that right? Yes. Yeah. So I mean, how long ago was that? Because it, it doesn't seem like anything's changed from when you first had that idea to now. Yeah, I mean, the institutions of school are. Um, I don't know, like, they're, they're input. I just think teachers are doing a heroic job, but because, and what I was noticing when I was in schools is, is that the teaching profession is being kept alive, right? And you've probably noticed this by new, new graduates who do it for like four years and then burn out and leave. Yeah. So, and you've got senior, senior leadership teams who are like, having to meet, meet targets, it's becoming more, more competitive, they've got league tables, so they're beating, the, they're beating the middle management, middle management are beating the, 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 the teachers, and everyone's just getting beaten, because you've got a more unforgiving funding landscape, etc., etc. And um, it's hard within that yeah. to be empathetic and have the space, not only just to be empathetic, but certainly to like, okay, let's... Doesn't have fun with poetry. I mean, like poetry takes time. Writing a, a, a poetry prompt, writing your own poetry to take into the most most teachers don't have time to do yeah. that. Yeah, well, it's that idea that you you don't have the the time or the inclination to nurture 
the, the learning, do you? It, it's right. as you said in, in uh, the poem unfulfilled. It's you've got your targets pinned inside your head. It's you know you need to do this. You need right, to do right, this. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I think that's why it, it struck a chord with us teachers. But oh, good. Well, I'm I'm really glad that, that it has and that, that it was of of some catharsis and again like full respect for you because you you lasted longer longer than I did like <laughs> do you know what I mean it's like uh yeah uh an obvious question but you know part of this podcast is you know not just to talk about a certain work but you as a poet yeah so what was your calling if you like to, to poetry why was it how old were you when did you start writing poetry I was late 20s and I went to a hammer and tongue slam and it was like a light bulb going off for me. It was like, yeah. wow, this is funny. It's kind of underground art form that not many people knows know about. And it's funny. It's like politicized. I was really political and really idealistic and really wanted to change the world. So it spoke to that youth in me. And so it was more the live aspects that drew oh, you in. Just all of, just everything. The words, yeah. the writing, the performance. The mastery, it was shamanic, man. I was under a spell. And I knew then, I was like, that's what I want to do. And I was kind of going around um, uh, open mics and as a singer-songwriter and writing silly songs. Yeah. A poem called Pete the Temp. Was, I wrote a song called The, the Temp Song about doing data in- input for the NHS. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. And um, I'm like, that's what I want to do. It's yeah. got me emotionally, intellectually, physically, it's telling me to st- stamp my feet and clap my hands. It's got me, it's just ticking all of the boxes. I to- felt totally in love Yeah. with poetry that probably if I was to listen to now, I'd be like, oh, it's, not, it's not very good. But do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, and I love that and I see that in new people and they fall in love with it and it's like, yes, yes. Yeah. And you're not just, you're not a passive uh, 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 recipient consumer as you are with most entertainment now. You know, most digitally digitally media mediated entertainment, you're just kind of consuming it. I was a participant. The moment I stepped into that slam, I was helping to score. I was booing and cheering the, the yeah. people who were scoring. The poet was looking at me right in the eyes and was on the same level. It was only a tiny stage, so it was like I'm part of this, and I can I I, I could I could slam, and I'm gonna. And so I started going to workshops with uh, Steve Larkin, who was the guy who was running the slam, and ended up working with him in the end. And uh, so it's like feeling that I was stepping into something. I was becoming part of a movement, which was like it had a whole set of values, yeah. and beliefs. You know, at the time it was kind of quite a radical green kind of scene in Oxford where I was, uh, and it, it was uh, it was also politicized me, you know, it got me into direct action protest politics as people were doing stuff about about protests they'd been to. And it wasn't even the poems, it was the intros to the poems where they were talking about it. So it was like stepping into to something for me, um, uh, not just artistically, but, it, but um, in terms of all of the, 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 the beliefs and value systems that that, that swim in that river, in that artistic river, you know, whatever that might be. So that was, uh, and as a, as a kid who came from like a, a small town in rural Oxfordshire, right? I was I was learning about lesbianism and 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 homosexuality and yeah. and radical politics for the first time, right? Because right. um, you know I was meeting lesbians and I was I was seeing people get up and, and do poems about being a, really explicit poems about being a lesbian, right? which which may not seem particularly uh, outlandish, but for 
for a lot of people that you know that that's I mean, it was an education for me certainly you know I mean you could say well you know I'll be preaching to the converted I'll be kind of like leftist cliques bloody blah is it all like really PC well you know would it be worse if it was politically incorrect you know yeah. whatever that is I mean would it be you know like it's okay, you know, within communities to, to be educating ourselves and sharing and, 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 and giving each other power. And that's part of what it is. I don't think it's just art. I think it's much more than that. You know, if we were to put our sociologist hat, our anthropologist hat on, yeah. it's m much more than just art. And, and that doesn't lessen it. It doesn't at all lessen the artistic value of it. It actually deepens it, I think. I love how energetic you are on there <laughs> about this. So uh, the final question I always ask, um, and it is, it is a, a, a quite a broad question. Yeah. Is is why poetry? So in 2019, 2018, we've seen a massive incline in in people going out and purchasing poetry books. Why are people, in your opinion, as someone you know who's studied uh, the art of spoken word and poetry, perform yourself very closely? Why do you think that is? Why are people turning to poetry in 2019? There's been a flurry of articles in the mainstream media celebrating the new poets. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, uh, then they they haven't quite hit the nail on the head, and they're saying, okay, they, you know, there's lots of females, there's lots of LGBT, there's lots of poets of colour, and that's true. But they, but they but the mainstream media have not got the full picture. They're forgetting that. Um, the, the, those poets that they're celebrating have grown out of communities of performances. They've grown out of the stage because they were outside of the the mainstream establishment once, and now they're they're in it. But they but in order to get there, they had to build their social capital. They had to build their their, their audiences in the communities of performance. So it's a shame as we're seeing the heralding of all of the, the the new poets, right? Yeah. Um, that we're not actually having a discussion about grassroots poetry communities, right? I did a very interesting interview with Sam Berkson when I was researching this book, and he's like, he compared um, the, the rise of Kate Tempest to mm -hmm. the rise of, of, uh, of Shakespeare. And he's like, look, Shakespeare wasn't an isolated genius. Shakespeare grew out of a scene, and there was this DIY professional economy, yeah. uh, you know, in the, in the Badlands and in the, 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 the gin squalors of you know outside the city of London where they had all you know and they built audiences and they were pandering to, pandering to audiences and they were pleasing audiences with their really bawdy kind of theatre right and it was the audiences that, that that elevated Shakespeare he wasn't part of a writers guild he was he was considered by other playwrights of, of his time to be a kind of a lower yeah. a lower entity right but it was the scene that raises much the scene that raised. Um, Kate Tempest up and I think it's a very good uh, point from Sam is that um, when Tempest became a ripe fruit boom she was you know I remember walking around Berlin and hearing her coming out of a cafe yeah, yeah, yeah. on the stereo right but in order to get there it, it was it was it was spoken word slam uh, hip-hop uh, audiences uh, that got them there so I think we that often gets often get o overlooked as we as we look at how popular poetry is now. Yeah, but but also to say about the popul popularity of, of poetry is that we're living through massive crisis, right? Global, uh, what I call you know the converging tsunamis. Yeah, yeah. I think I actually have stolen that phrase from somewhere else. I just <laughs> changed it slightly so yeah. I could put it in my book. <laughs> I couldn't remember who said it. But it's a beautiful phrase: ecological, social, political meltdown. Right, and whenever you have this. 
whenever you have this, you have a, a renaissance of poetry because people are like, man, I've got something to say. I'm going to say it. I've got, I'm going to have to like change the conversation. Right? And people look for alternatives, don't they? Because they're disillusioned by the press, by what they're hearing on the radio, by politicians. Yeah. And they get together. And live performance is always part of that because they're protesting and they're, 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 they're building their movements. And they and movements need need their poets, right? So and this is what we see with all, all the poets who are listening to this, and you know they're part they're serving their community in lots of different ways. You're serving your community as you know uh, as a poet and as a teacher and as a citizen journalist. You know everybody is like, okay, how can I serve my communities? Embedded poetics. Yeah. Uh, it, it's applied poetics. It's like the, the poet is a networked being. They exist within. Uh, a community that has needs and opportunities, and it's like, how could we're not just in our we're not just in our cafes, right? We're 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 not just you know, stroking our beard and you know writing soliloquies <laughs> and, and, and lyrics to ourselves. Like, we're out there, yeah. And and we're, we're it's kind of like quite missionary. And I see this again and again. We've spoken while they've got this kind of missionary zeal. Do you mm. know what I mean? To yeah, bring yeah. poetry to the people. Yeah. We take it into schools and like change the way. Like you see this again. It's really interesting. I think. Yeah. How people are driven, what drives people to do that. So if people want to see Pete the Temp serve their community, how can they find <laughs> you? How can they find you? Uh, yeah, so um, uh, social media, all of the usual channels, find me on that and, and I can tell you about the tour. We're taking it all the way around the country. You can also sign up to my newsletter um, via my website and I send out joke of the month and word of the month and videos. I'm just working on a Boris Johnson uh, radical street theatre, Boris Johnson clown act at the moment. So um, Who wouldn't want to watch going, that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, just... just be in touch and if you have any questions about the book um, uh, uh, then then be in touch as well and I'm, I'm at your service and I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna put you on the spot it's a horrible question but I have to ask it poets we should be checking out you named a few to me before we started this but top of your head a few a few ones which I think are really underrated uh, David Lee Morgan is one of our most valued poets and elders in the scene he's a, one of our only septuagenarians actually um, and he is a poet who uses Marxist dialectic to interrogate ideas in his poems. Thesis, and antithesis, synthesis, synthesis, again and again and again. Like every one of his poems has got hundreds of books going into it. Okay. He's a firebrand performer. David, he's London-based. David Lee Morgan. Check out his stuff online um, uh, and, and, and check him out. Also, I think I was I was staying over at AP Staunton's house last night, who is um, a bricklayer, uh, Liverpudlian poet in Brighton. Now Amazing. he's an interesting guy. Yeah. If you really want, and if you really want an example of like the contemporary oral tradition on spoken word stages, he's a great example. I mean, he, he's he, he's a great writer and reads widely. But he comes from this kind of working class pub uh, a storytelling culture. You yeah. know, he can tell a story like no other. Do you know what I mean? And that's kind of like grown organically through um, uh, building sites and pubs. And it's really interesting seeing how he takes that onto stages and how, and how, uh, how skillful he is in doing that. Almost a Chaz and Dave of the poetry world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like uh, A.P. Staunton. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's a... He's a He's a rare breed. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Pete, thank you very much for talking to me. Stage Invasion, Poetry and the Spoken Word Renaissance is out on Outspoken Press now. Go and have a read. You won't regret it. Thank what? you so much. Thank you for indulging me and keep up the good work. Thank you, Jim. We're going to hear a recital from Pete himself.
This piece is called Manifesto for Revolutionary Poetic. Because of the political tyranny of dullness and the brain-bleaching regime of speech screamed from walls and screens, the action needed is words. With their magical power to spell the future, I mean, what is a metaphor? Can we do without seeing and saying? Do we not speak change? Should we not scream its name? Should we not speak a future where solidarity is not dismissed as a romantic ideal, but a living energy field passed between lips fingertips and the breath of the wind. Our poetry's duty is to truth and beauty. It labours to harvest the intelligence of the heart. It labours to fuel the human spirit. It labours to put exactly the right words in exactly the right places and the legacy of this labour is incalculable. I mean, Jesus Christ! Muhammad, Lao Tzu, Buddha, Shelley, Gary Baldy, Mahatma Gandhi, Luther King, Victor Hara, Pussy Riot! Should children not be free? Not just to recite, but to write. Not just to read, but to speak. Not just to analyze, but share. Just think, feel. Just follow, but wonder, daydream, dream. Not just to do, but to be. You see, people are like poems. They cannot be numerically valued. Judge us not by how much money we make, but how much we make people feel. Do not speak the grammar of the boardroom. Speak the grammar of the heart. Whatever grammar you speak in, speak. Speak now with words so we don't speak later with rocks and guns. Speak while it is poetry and not tear gas that clings to your lungs. Commit radical acts of empathy in workplaces, universities, street corners, carnivaling a riotous love. Every defaced billboard, poetry. Every marker penned advert, poetry. Every poster, sticker, placard, chant, poetry, poetry. 
we will dance our cadence across the foothills of history. We are figures of speech, forever striving to define the eternal life force we draw on, an ethic twisted into our DNA. We are the vibration of a melody resonating in every creature, however microscopic, that shakes free. We are an impulse tearing down neural pathways, an electrical storm crossing hemispheres, a movement, an interface, a transfer of energy, the shudder of an earthquake caused by a fracking rig. We are Mother Nature clearing her throat, a microphone, a megaphone, a stage to all those unfairly caged in the vertical bars of the word illegal, to all the unvoiced screaming at their TV sets. We fizz with an energy that will not be found on billboards and televisions. Our pulse will not be channeled into the algorithms of social media campaigns. We are everywhere, rich with an indignation that will not be ring-fenced by riot police. We come with sharp-pointed implements behind our teeth, amplified devices in our chests, and love clenched in our fists. We are the iambic heartbeat of the human race. We are communities of words and actions. We are poetry. A big thank you to Pete. Really appreciate you taking the time out to come and speak to me in that busy Leon. Stage Invasion, Poetry and the Spoken Word Renaissance is out now. It is such a good read. Very, very interesting. I really do recommend it out on Outspoken Press. A massive thank you as always to you at home for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share it with a friend. You can find us on Instagram at People's Poetry Podcast, over on Twitter at People underscore Poetry. You can find us on Facebook, People's Poetry Podcast. I'm on Twitter. Jbo, that's JBO Pens Poems. And you can email us if you want to get involved with the show. If you're a poet yourself and you'd like to sit down and chat, or social media just don't cut the mustard and you want to get in touch, it's People's Poetry Podcast at hotmail.com. 